Well, good morning, Church 214. I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, I'm pumped to be kicking off our new series, Ghost. Uh, do, we, do we have the logo? We do. I want to brag on my wife for a second. My wife made that. It's just, yeah, she's awesome. But anyway, if you haven't figured it out already, this is a series about the Holy Spirit. And when I say Holy Spirit, some of you uh, probably don't really know what to think. If you didn't grow up Pentecostal, as I did not, uh, the first thing that comes to your mind may be skepticism or confusion, or maybe you just don't know what to think about the Spirit because you've never been taught about Him or you don't know Him. And frankly, exploring who the Spirit is and what He does makes you uncomfortable. It freaks you out a little bit. Okay, because of that, some people have described the Holy Spirit as the weird uncle. I'm sure you've probably heard that analogy before. You know the uncle that you never really pay attention to or think about until you go to your family Christmas party, and he's just kind of wandering around aimlessly, looking disheveled, messed up hair in a bald spot, probably smells a little weird. And you try and avoid eye contact with him because you know that if you do make eye contact with him, he takes that as an open invitation to stand awkwardly close to you and, and, and talk to you about something that you probably don't want to talk about. And you feign interest because uh, he's important and, and because, yeah, he's part of your family and you're supposed to love him, but frankly, you just wish you didn't have to deal with him. And honestly, if, I, if I'm being honest with myself, I've felt that way about the Holy Spirit before, and I bet some of you have as well. You know that he's important, he's part of the triune God, but you want to keep him at a distance because when he comes around, things start to get uncomfortable. Things tend to change. We don't really like change very much. So my purpose this morning is not to overlook the fact that the Spirit is responsible for some of the quote-unquote weird things, like prophecy and tongues, healing, I'm not trying to overlook that, but I want you to understand that in your daily and mundane life, the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God that is with you. So let's pray real quick and then we'll get started. Father, send your Spirit. Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Change us. Change what we see. Change what we seek. Father, I ask that you would send your spirit into this place. God, I pray that these words would not be mine, but that they would be filled with the power of the spirit. And by the power of the spirit, I pray that they would have authority. God, I pray that through the spirit, I would speak truth. God, I ask that your spirit would fall on all of our hearts. Lord, that the spirit would prepare our hearts and cultivate the ground so that your seeds can be planted and bear fruit. Spirit, fall, come. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, as I said, my purpose is not to disregard the fact or look over the fact that the Spirit is responsible for some of the quote-unquote weird things, but that He is the very power and the presence of God inside of you. And He is also the power through which you are equipped to live the life that He is calling you to live. Okay, let's start with the basics. We just got off our basic series, which is awesome. So let's start with the basics on the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's the third person in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as a distinct person in the Trinity. He's a distinct person in the triune Godhead, and we could have 
an entire year series on the Trinity and how everything works, and I don't have near enough time to get into that right now. So the easiest way that I can put the function of the Spirit within the Trinity is this. I spent hours just trying to get this one sentence down. The Spirit is the manifest power and presence of the Father and the Son. The Spirit is the manifest power and presence of the Father and the Son, and He gives us the power and the ability to live the life that we are called to live. You see, in and of ourselves, we are a hopeless wreck. Without the Spirit, we have no chance of living a life that pleases God. So what better way for God to empower us to live for Him than to give us Himself? That is so awesome. If you're breathing this morning, I'm sure you have some issue, some sin that you're battling through, some heartache that you're going through, some oppression, some tragedy, some difficult circumstance, and it feels like it is just too much for you to handle. And it is. The good news is that the Spirit is the very power and provision of God in your life, power over sin, power to give you Peace and comfort during hardship, during tragedy, during heartache. Power over your addiction. Power over your depression. Power over every demonic force. You see, there is no greater power in this universe than the power of the Holy Spirit that is inside of you. The Holy Spirit was there during creation, moving over the waters. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and there's no greater power in this universe than the Holy Spirit. And the power that lives in you is the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. Second Timothy says that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power. And the Greek word for power there can actually be translated as miraculous power. You see, if there's one thing that I want you to remember from today, it's that God is with you. And while God is with you, he is not passive or just along for the ride. He is working with you and in you and through you with miraculous power for his purpose. See, God is with you. But how do we get the Spirit? We're going to go through a lot of Scripture today, so get your thumbs ready or your fingers ready. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. At the moment you heard the gospel and believed in the saving work of Jesus on the cross for the salvation of your sins, you simultaneously received the Holy Spirit. When you're saved, you get the Spirit. That's, it's simple. It's how it is. So if I have the Spirit then why don't I perfectly love and serve my wife like I'm supposed to? Thank you, Chris. <laughs> if I have the Spirit, why am I not constantly serving and healing people? If I have the Spirit, why do I still have problems with lust or alcohol? Why do I have problems controlling my tongue? Why is my heart not filled with compassion rather than judgment? You see, while all Christians receive the Holy Spirit at conversion, there's a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled by Him. There's a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled by Him. Turn to Ephesians 5, 18. 
Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So being filled with the Spirit here is compared to being drunk. Okay, so how do these things correlate? Now, it's not when you're in the Spirit that you think it's a good idea to climb up on the roof of your house and jump off and bust your face. That is not how these compare. But why does somebody who is drunk act the way that they do? It's much different than their normal way of acting, at least for most people. There you go. Somebody got it. It's different than your normal way of acting, but the, the, the person that is drunk is swayed by the alcohol. Their thoughts and their actions are swayed by the influence of the alcohol. And the same is true with the Spirit. When you are walking in the Spirit, your thoughts and your actions are swayed towards holy submission to God. So if there's a difference between having the Spirit inside of us and having Him inhabit us and having the Spirit fill us, then how can I be filled with the Spirit? Two ways. Number one, ask. And we're going to get a chance to do this at the end, but I'm getting excited and ahead of myself, so it's going to have to wait. Ask. Turn to Luke 11, chapter 11, sorry, yeah, Luke 11, verse 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You see, God is with you. Have you asked to be filled by the Spirit? How else can we be filled by the Spirit? By submitting to yourself to the Spirit that already lives inside of you, if you're a Christian. We're going to spend a lot more time on this one. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. So what does that mean? What does it mean to quench the Spirit? Quenching the Spirit means not doing something that the Spirit prompts you to do. Quenching the Spirit is not doing something that the Spirit prompts you to do. And most Christians, including myself, to my shame, are masters at this. Hey, Ike, you should probably go talk to that guy. No, I don't think so. Not really in my schedule right now. No, I, I really think you should go talk to him. But I've... I've never even seen him before. If I go up and talk to him, he'll just think I'm weird. You are weird. <laughs> so go talk to him anyway. But I just, it's not, it's not, I don't have time. I'm busy. I'm on my way to work. I just go talk to him. But I, I've never met him before and, and I don't even know what to say. I'm not going to do it. I don't have the time today. And then silence. That's quenching the Spirit. Turn to Ephesians 4, chapter 20. Chapter 4, verse 20. Do not grieve the Spirit. So grieving the Holy Spirit means doing something in direct violation to what the Holy Spirit is telling you not to do. Okay, this for a second. Make it easy. Any sinful thought or act is grieving the Holy Spirit. 
The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, has chosen to make his home in you forever. He will never leave you if you are a Christian. So what if you are living with somebody? Maybe this is somebody's situation right now. What if you're living with somebody or you have somebody in your life that you care so deeply for? And despite all your best attempts and all your advice and all your sacrifice to try and help them, they throw it in your face and destroy their lives anyway. Would that not grieve you? How much more then does the Holy Spirit know you and love you so intimately? How much more does he know what is best for you? So does it not grieve him when you throw it in his face and live the life that you want to live? Is the spirit not grieved when the very dwelling place that he is inhabiting is living in direct rejection to everything that he is? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. But if we were to obey the warnings of the Spirit and not grieve Him, and if we were to obey the promptings of the Spirit and not quench Him, we would become more and more accustomed to the joy that is produced with walking with the Spirit. We would be more and more filled by the Spirit. You would hear His voice louder and louder and you will be filled with the Spirit. You see, God is with you. Do not grieve him. Do not quench him. Now, going along with not grieving the Spirit, the Spirit is also responsible for the conviction of your sin. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 says this, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am. I'm holy. How are you doing with your call to be holy? Do you keep going back to your sin? Are you living in the constant tension between the holiness that you're called to and the desires of your flesh that are holding you back and keeping you in the darkness? We all have those areas in our life. It's time for the preacher to be open and honest with you. An area in my life is apathy and laziness. By nature, I'm a very hard worker. If you give me a job to do, I'm going to get it done. It's just how it's going to go. It will get done. And I worked very hard in school, and I work very hard in my job, and many times it can be quite taxing to care for the health and well-being of other people. And so oftentimes I come home from a long day at work, and, and all I want to do is just sit on the couch and not love and serve and lead my wife like I should, like I'm called to. I work out sometimes, but definitely not as much as I could or should. I could use that time to to read the Bible and to fill myself up with things that empower me, with things that give me more energy to serve and love his church. But instead, I veg out and I waste time. I rest, but I don't rest well. Is there something in your life that is like that? A sin that you are battling that you just keep coming back to and you don't seem to have the strength to break that cycle? Maybe it's a substance. 
Maybe it's an unbiblical or an extramarital relationship and you struggle with purity. Maybe you have an issue controlling your tongue. Are you being convicted about that sin or have you been quenching the Spirit? You see, as I said before, the Spirit is responsible for the conviction of your sin. Hebrews 12, 6 says this, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord disciplines his sons and daughters as we should our own. Are you feeling that discipline? When you feel that conviction, it's not a negative thing. When you feel that conviction, it means that you are a son or a daughter of the king. It does not mean that you are condemned. It means you are a son or a daughter of the king. And not only that, it means that he cares enough to not let you live in your sin, but to call you to greater joy of living in submission to him in holiness like you were created to be. But many of us, when we feel that conviction, we get discouraged and we don't see it as God sees it. When you feel that conviction, do you get discouraged? Are you discouraged because you feel that there's no possible way that you could live up to what that conviction is calling you to? Or maybe you get discouraged because that conviction is calling you away from something that you desperately want and feel like you need. And maybe it's a good desire, but it might not be a godly desire. Or you might not be pursuing it in a godly way. But think about this. The spirit that is convicting you is the same spirit that also empowers you to overcome your sin. The spirit that convicts you also simultaneously empowers you to live the life that you are called to, that that conviction is calling you to. The spirit's conviction is never separate from the power to overcome it. The spirit's conviction is never separate from the power to overcome it. So don't be discouraged by his conviction. Be encouraged that God is trying to work in you to become more like him. Be encouraged that he is ready to give you the power to become like Jesus. You see, God is working in your life. Submit yourself to the Spirit in obedience, and you will be increasingly filled with the Spirit. You see, God is with you, and he is for you. Romans 8, 5 through 7 says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For, the mind, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It does not have the power to. So we see in this passage that it's clear if you're living a life in the flesh, then you're obeying the desires of the flesh. But if you're living a life in the spirit, then you are obeying the desires of the spirit. So the question is, which are you following? We see in verse 7 that in following the desires of the flesh, you have no chance of living a life that pleases God. It says you cannot submit to God's law. You do not have the ability to if you are living a life in the flesh. That power, the power to live the life that God has called you to, is in the Spirit alone. 
And I find that so freeing. Because I am a weak and broken man. And I know that in and of myself, I have no power to live up to the life that God has called me to. But thank God that he gives me his spirit to empower me. The power to live the life he is calling you to is in the spirit. But are you allowing him to fill you? Are you allowing him to draw your thoughts and your actions towards holiness? You see, the spirit is already inside of you if you're a Christian, but are you allowing him to fill you? Do you believe in the victory that the spirit represents? The victory of Jesus on the cross. You see, in Jesus, you are no longer a slave to your sin. Your sin, your sin died on the cross. It was crucified with Jesus. It no longer lives. But you can choose to live in your sin or you can choose to live in the victory that the Spirit represents. Your sin died on the cross. And the Holy Spirit is there to empower you to live the life that he is calling you to. You see, if you're living in the Spirit, you will have victory, not perfectly, but increasingly. Victory that you can never achieve on your own. And that victory will draw you closer into the arms of your Savior and you will become progressively more and more like him. Isn't that what it's all about? Oh, to be more like Jesus. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and things like these. Quite the list, isn't it? But before you just check out and say, nothing, nothing on that list applies to my life, I guarantee you, every single person in this room, including myself, there's something in your life right now that applies to that list. There is something in your life right now that applies to that list. What is it? Now skipping down to verse 22 through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is your life increasingly full of these things? If you are walking with the Spirit, it will be. You want a litmus test to see if you are walking with the Spirit? Is your life more full of love and joy than it ever has been? Do people realize that you are more kind and more gentle than you used to be? Do you express self-control in situations now where previously you would not have been in control? You see, that is the fruit of the Spirit. If you are walking with the Spirit, that will be the fruit. You see, God is with you. And he wants to bear fruit in your life. Now, up until this point, we've been talking about how we get the Spirit and the difference between having the Spirit and being filled by Him. But the Spirit also encourages us and aids us in our walk 
with Jesus. So I want you to go back to Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. This is the passage that we used to, to say that you receive the Spirit when you're saved. Okay, but the second part of this passage talks about the first way I want to talk about how the, how the Spirit encourages us and aids us. So kind of skip down to the middle of, of the passage there. And when you believed in him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the assurance of your salvation. He is the assurance of your salvation. Do you ever have days when you feel like you aren't saved? Maybe you've just been going through so much heartache and so much trouble, you're like, man, if I'm saved, then God would be helping me out more, right? Or maybe you've just been struggling with your sin and you keep going back to it and you keep going back to it. And you wonder, am I even saved? The presence of the Spirit is the assurance of your salvation. Now, we've already talked about some of the evidences of the presence of the Spirit, the conviction of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. We also see the evidence of the presence of the Spirit in the exercise of spiritual gifts. I do not have enough time to get into that. But Heather preached a message on it back in the ID series. You can look that up on our podcast. I would certainly encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. It has the most concentrated teaching on the spiritual gifts. So we see the presence of the Spirit in the exercise of spiritual gifts. We also see the presence of the Spirit in true worship of God. I know my brother loves this one. So true worship of God requires you to have the power of the Spirit within you to open your eyes to see who God is and who you are. To open your eyes to properly honor and adore and worship Him. See, the presence of the Spirit means that you have true worship of God. So while these are evidences of the presence of the Spirit, they are also the assurance of your salvation. When you love someone through a situation that a year ago you wouldn't have loved them through, that's the presence of the Spirit. And that's the assurance of your salvation. When you're convicted about a sin that you were previously blind to or numb to, that's the presence of the Spirit. And that's the assurance of your salvation. When you express self-control in a situation when previously you would have lost control, that's the presence of the Spirit. And that's the assurance of your salvation. When you are brought to your knees in humble, true worship of God and you experience Him in a way so much more intimately than you ever have before, that's the presence of the Spirit. That's the assurance of of your salvation. You see, the Spirit gives us daily evidences that we belong to the King. Look for them. Let them encourage you. You see, God is with you. And He wants you to be assured that you are His. There are several Greek words and phrases in the New Testament that we translate as Holy Spirit, one of them I want to talk about is parakleton. So turn to John 14, verse 16. In this passage, Jesus and his disciples have returned to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and it's just before Jesus' arrest and his execution. And so this is the situation where Jesus is speaking with his disciples about the parakleton. And he says this, And I will ask the Father, 
and he will give you another helper or paracletan that he may be with you forever. Now, paracletan literally translates as called to one's aid. See, Jesus was leaving his disciples, but he says, I'm going to send you a paracletan, and he will be called to your aid. I think that is so cool. The Spirit is there to aid you in your pursuit of Jesus, to aid you in your works and your service of building God's church and his kingdom. Now, while paracletan is literally translated as called to one's aid, the, the connotation in the, in the Greek actually goes further than that. The connotation could also make paracletan mean comforter or intercessor. And so I want to talk about those real quick. So stay in John 14, but skip down to verse 26. Now, this verse has another usage of the word paracletan. And Jesus, again, is talking with his disciples, and he says this, but the helper, the paracletan, the comforter, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Comforter teaches us truth. He teaches us the truths of Jesus and the Scripture. You see, let me ask you a question. What brings you real comfort? What brings you assurance and a firm footing to stand on when all else around you seems chaotic and unstable. When your heart aches so deeply that you can't even conceive of a concept called hope, what brings you comfort? I believe this verse answers that question. It's not, it's not a coincidence that Paracleton was used here. The comforter brings you truth. When life is hard and painful, the truth can give us life, it can set us free. It can give us peace. It can bring us comfort. So let's just list some truths that should bring us comfort. You need to know that you are pressed but not crushed. You are struck down but not destroyed. You need to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen to me. You are not worthless. You are precious. You need to know that in Jesus, you are not a failure. You are more than a conqueror. In Jesus, you are not a slave to sin, but you have been set free by his blood. You need to know that you are saved and redeemed completely, holy forever. You need to know that you are called a child of the most high God, the creator of the universe. You are his son. You are his daughter. You need to know that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of you. You need to know that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself dwells in you at all times for eternity. You see, God is with you. That is the truth. So you need to know the truth. So get in the word of truth. Spend time in your Bible. Spend time in prayer. And let the Comforter teach you truths and call to your remembrance everything that he has said. That will bring you comfort. That will bring you peace. What about the Spirit as an intercessor? Turn to Romans 8, 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know what to pray for as we ought, 
The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes in our weak saints according to the will of God. So even when we don't know what to pray or how to pray, even when we don't even know our own requests, the Holy Spirit knows you so intimately and personally that he takes those requests and presents them to the throne of heaven. The Spirit intercedes to the Father on your behalf. And not only that, but he does so according to the will of the Father. And this is huge. Turn to James 2, sorry, James 4, verses 2 through 3. James says this about prayer. You desire and you do not have, and you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, but you do not receive because you ask wrongly or against the will of God to spend it on your passions. Do you see that? You ask, but you do not receive because you ask against the will of God. And I've read these passages dozens of times before, and and I never made this connection. The Spirit never gave me this connection. The fact that the Holy Spirit brings your request to the Father according to the will of the Father is huge. It means that the Spirit is praying foolproof. The answer is always yes, prayers on your behalf to the Father. Every single request the Spirit brings to the Father is according to the will of the Father. Therefore, the answer is always a joyful and resounding yes, Even when you don't know what to pray for, even when you don't know what request you should have, the Spirit knows what is so much better for you and what is so much more powerful for you. He knows the change that needs to happen in your life. And so he takes those requests and brings them to the Father, and his answer is yes. I think that that is so awesome. That blew my mind when I saw that. So if you've ever been through any hardship or tragedy, you can know how comforting it can be when people are surrounding you, praying for you and with you and interceding to the Father for you. So take comfort in the fact that the third person of the Trinity is bringing your requests to God in a way that is so perfect that the answer is always yes. You see, the Holy Spirit is with you. God is with you. And he is your comforter and your intercessor. You see, God is with you. He is not your weird uncle. Far from it. Many of us perceive him to be that way or treat him to be that way as if he doesn't really have a real place in our lives, but the Spirit plays a much larger role in your Christian walk than you give him credit for. Every single step that you take towards holiness and every tiny area of your life that you surrender over to Jesus is because you have the Holy Spirit. It's because the Spirit dwells in you. Again, the Holy Spirit is the very heart and the care of the Father and the Son, and He dwells in you. Sometime this week, just take 10 or 15 minutes to think about that and be prepared for your brains to hit the back of the wall. God, the omnipotent and omniscient creator, the alpha and the omega, dwells inside of you, and he will never leave you. The Spirit is the very power and the presence of God. The Spirit is the reason why when Jesus was leaving his disciples, he says, it's better that I go because then you get the Spirit. 
Jesus said, it is better that I leave you because then the Spirit will come. The presence of the Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus standing next to you. If I were to ask every single person in this room, including myself, would you rather have the Spirit or Jesus standing next to you? I'd be like, I'll take Jesus next to me. I like that plan. I can handle that. You tell me to go talk to that guy. Jesus is next to me. I'm all over it. But listen, Jesus himself said, at least on this side of heaven, it is better that the Spirit is inside of you than I am standing next to you. That is huge. You see, the Spirit is the power and the presence of God that lives inside you at all times. Have you been quenching him? Have you been grieving him? Or are you believing in the transforming power of the Spirit in your life? See, as I said before, the Spirit gives you the power over your sin, power over addiction, power over depression, power over heartache, clarity and peace in any circumstance. The Spirit is the very power of God inside of you. He gives you assurance that you are saved, that you are a child of God. Through the Spirit, you have the power to tell Satan and his demons that they have no place and no control. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you have the Spirit inside of you. Think if an entire church believed what the Bible teaches about the Spirit. Think if even one man believed what the Bible teaches about the Spirit. That church would be rocked with the reality of who God really is. That is the local church that will change the city of Peoria. That's the kind of local church that will change our nation, our broken nation. That's the kind of church that will change our broken world. You see, God is with you. But do you believe it? Do you live like it? Now, at the beginning of this message, I I talked about the difference between having the Spirit inside of you and being filled by Him. And let me tell you this morning, myself, just as much as everybody in this room, I need the Holy Spirit. I'm a weak and broken man. Everything in myself sways towards sin. Sways towards rejection to everything that he is. But by the power of the Spirit, I can live a life that pleases him. I can live a life that builds his church. So if you're here this morning and you need a filling of the Spirit, I can't help you with not grieving him. That's on you. I can't help you with not quenching him. That's also on you. What I can do is I can give you an opportunity to ask. If you have some sin that you are struggling with this morning, you've been dealing with it for years, you need the Spirit. You know that in and of yourself, you cannot overcome that sin. Ask for the Spirit. If you have some heartache in your life and you just can't conceive of anything called hope, you have no semblance of comfort whatsoever. Ask for the comforter. 
if your heart feels numb and blind to your sin and you don't even, you don't even conceive of something called sin, ask for the Spirit to reveal that to you. Ask for the conviction of the Spirit. You see, everybody in this room needs the Spirit. So I want to give you the opportunity to ask for Him, to be filled by Him. So if I could have whoever's on the leadership team that they want to just kind of come forward. Um, If that's you this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. I want you to be able to come forward and pray and ask to be filled by the Spirit. We want to ask alongside you and with you. We want to ask for ourselves as well. So the band is going to keep playing, and then we're going to sing another song. And I want you to just be bold and say, yeah, I need the Spirit. Guess what? We all do. There's no shame in coming forward and saying, yeah, I want the Spirit. So come forward and ask. Let us ask with you and for you to pray that you will be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, send your Spirit. Come and do what only you can do. God, I ask that you would pour out your Spirit right now in this place. God, every person that is asking for a filling of the Spirit, do it now. Father, I pray that you would open the gates of heaven that your spirit would come and that you would make us more effective at building your church, that you would give us power over our sin, that any oppression in our life would flee. Father, I pray that your spirit would indwell us and fill us. And God, through that we may have freedom. So God, I ask you now to come.